Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. In the name and sacred wonder of the illimitable holiness of God, creator, redeemer, sanctifier. Amen. It is good to be back in this place that I know so well from times past. At an earlier hour, David asked people if they remembered the 1980s. <laughs> Some of us do. In the collection of parables gathered by St. Matthew, the gospel writer, the parable of the weeds follows the parable of the sower. And Jesus' own explanation of what that might mean allegorically. The parable of the weeds comes at a time when the associations around Jesus are being marked and deciphered and discerned. Who is a friend of Christ and who is not? Who is a real Christian and who is just a wannabe? Who is a member and who is a visitor? Yet the radical nature of Christ's love in his own actions and in his stories, the meaning seems to be so clear. Here's a question. How many people were 100 absolutely pure Christian when Jesus healed them? I think about that many. Zero. Let's look back just for a moment. Simon Peter, upon you, Petra, I build my church. On the original Monday, Thursday night in the shadowed courtyard before the Friday that we call good, Peter denies Christ, even knowing him. Jesus' own mother and brother and sister come searching for him. They think that he is beside himself, that is, crazed, insane. His own family thinks he's insane. And Jesus hears about it through the crowd, and he asks to his listeners, who is my mother and my brother and my sister? Those who do the will of my Father in heaven. The evangelist known as Matthew was once called Levi. Come and follow me, says Jesus. John the baptizer goes up against the authority of his day. Does that not make him a renegade and a rebel? Going up against his own king, Herod? Yes, he went up against his king and he paid a high price for it. Let's not forget, though, John the wearer of camel skin and the eater of bugs was a son, bona fide, of a temple priest. Yet John is not recorded as going to the temple. His own father is a priest because John, by his calculation, thinks that the temple cult has become flawed and impaired and corrupt and is overgrown with the weeds of greed. John's sanctuary was out in the wilderness, 
amongst the muddy riverbanks of the Jordan, and Jesus came to him. And Jesus proclaimed John, the greatest man who has ever walked the earth. Little Zacchaeus was a big mess. But Jesus befriends him and overlooks his shortcomings. I thought that was a pretty good phrase myself. (laughs) Mary Magdalene has seven demons that are cast out before she's ever converted. Saul of Tarsus is murderous toward the church. In fact, Saul goes around trying to ask if he could hold people's cloaks and jackets so they would have a good throwing arm free to throw at Stephen, the first deacon and martyr of the church. Saul egged them on. But it's that same Saul on the road to Damascus who has an encounter with the living Christ. And the extraordinary grace bestowed by the Christ turned Saul into Paul of Jerusalem, the great epistolary author. Paul was the first systematic theologian All this from a weedy beginning. Paul became a great fundraiser extraordinaire for the church in Jerusalem because it was being persecuted. It had no resources. He was an advocate of Jesus' resurrection and a preacher par excellence of the burgeoning faith of Christ, outreaching compassion. And now Paul is considered one of the great, righteous, purified forms of wheat in the great harvest row of acceptability. He's no longer considered a weed. Yet even St. Paul says, do not forget, I was the greatest of sinners. I alone hold that place. But as I sinned greatly, I was all the more forgiven. So Paul is accepted and revered. So the parable of the weeds is really worth considering even today, even in this place now, this morning. If we're to be Christ's friends, then we have to see as he sees. We turn to him for the answer because he is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So what does Jesus do? He includes the sinners. He eats with them. He calls them to follow. He calls sinners to righteousness. He asks them to be at one with the message, with him and one another. Don't think of yourselves too highly, says St. Paul. No longer do I call you servants, but friends, says Jesus. Your sins are forgiven, says Jesus, and that's all he needs to say. That's the message that St. Francis and St. Clair so reveled in that it changed their lives. And we remember them fondly. We remember them because they got the message. So in the church, in the history of people, sometimes what looks like a weed at first turns out to be wheat. Jesus told parables, and he healed the unclean and forgave sins. He ate and drank with sinners. So I decided to dig deeply to find out who else had considered this parable of the weeds. One of my favorite authors is John Donne, 
poet, sermonizer, because Dunn's exquisite words are always poignant, charged with enthusiasm, beauteous rhythms of his sentences and harmonic guides to the persuasion of the work of his movement toward grace. On the subject of weeds, he delves into church history and comes up with a sermon by St. Clement of Alexandria a thousand years before. I share now with you that story John Donne discovered. A young man gets a new pair of boots, and he goes out in a field to try them. In his enthusiasm for his new purchase, the young man becomes a bit distracted from the environment. He used to be barefoot, and he could feel the soil under his feet and between his toes. Now, because of the thickness of the leather of his boot soles, he can't feel the rocks, but he can't feel anything else either. And in his thrill, he negligently treads upon, well, everything co-equally, smashing and trampling and crushing flowers and stalks and weeds and grasses and herbs and spices. All fall under the pressure of his preoccupied unawareness. The man is impervious to his environment. All he can think of is his new boots. I think that perhaps he also wondered if he were more handsome because of them. Well, being fatigued with the outing, the man turns to go home and upon arrival feels exhausted from his exertion. Suddenly a great fatigue comes on him and he starts to feel feverish. I need a doctor, he thinks. And so he treads down the lane to the apothecary. And then for the first time ever, he opens that door. What a surprise. Everything in this shop is exquisitely arranged, displayed to the nth degree with perfection and care. All is extraordinarily clean and in order. All is placed in correspondence with the full satisfaction of being able to get information. There are ointments, there are glass jars, there are medicines arranged. The place gleams with nurture and wisdom and care and hope. It is breathtaking. This is so different than the field, thought the young man. I forgot to tell you he was very observant. And then the young man, now cast in the role as a patient, asked, what is the remedy for my soreness and my hurt and my fever? So the apothecary looks at him closely and he reaches for a large jar. This will be your fix, young sir. What is it? Asked the young man. The apothecary leans forward and looks down at the new boots of the young man. There, young sir, see? The young man steps back. 
and some things fall off of his boots. The apothecary comes out from behind his desk. He reaches down, picks up a little leaf from the boot, and he goes, here. This is what is in the jar. And if you'll look back, young sir, look at all the things you traped in on your boots. I just disinfected this floor an hour ago. So, your remedy is right here. You brought it with you on your own boots. So in the field, says Clement and John Dunn and me, weeds seem unimportant at the moment, but maybe they're herbs or spices or special medicines if we would use Christ's eyes. In the apothecary, this place is a set aside for healing and reflection. Some call it church. There, things which had been cast out are redeemed. Some things that were thought weedy are made holy. They are no longer discarded or unvaluable, but they are intentionally collected to be the body of Christ, refined, manicured, blessed by nurture. There's an old Latin phrase for it, vis medicatrix natura, the natural healing force of Christ's presence through the Holy Spirit and the grace of his presence. Vis medicatrix natura, the natural healing force of God present. Yesterday, in the church calendar was Mary of Magdalene Day. She is not known now much for the beginning of her life, but for the second portion of her life, as a witness to the crucifixion and the resurrection both. She is known for being best friends with Mary Theotokos, Mother of God, Jesus' Mother. Mara means bitterness into sweetness. For centuries in the church, Mary was not valued. Today, she's known in the Orthodox Church as the 13th Apostle. That is truly good news, dear ones. She was perfected to a full conversion of faithfulness. So I suggest that Christ is our apothecary who carries us, who picks us up and takes us as his own friends. And he takes us to fullness of being and wellness of mind and heart and body and soul because of his divinity and his gracious compassion for us. In him, all things. All persons are made whole and pure and good. All I know to say to that is thanks be to God. So thanks be to God. Amen.